I mean, I literally got to make my own college from scratch. So within the, you know, massive amounts of Throw a little bit of this in a little bit of you're like, you're stirring a pot and like, wait, this might this might work. Yeah. The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 311. Despite its slogan being Keep Portland Weird, Portland actually ranks 11th out of the top 50 U.S. cities on the City Vitals Weirdness Index. Yeah, that's a thing. Behind such supposedly weird places as Denver, Seattle, and even Minneapolis. The only weird thing about Minneapolis, why people would want to spend a winter there. When I was a kid in middle school, the only thing I really wanted, well, other than a pet monkey, was that L.L. Bean backpack with your initials on it. And all the cool kids had it, Some of my friends had them, and I would beg and plead my parents to get me this L.L. Bean backpack with my initials on it, and they never, ever did. So you could say that growing up, my relationships with backpacks were maybe not a pleasant one. But thankfully, that has changed. Now that I'm out of school, things have changed. I'm able to make my own decisions. And nowadays, I have some of the best travel backpacks in the world. In fact, I have every single version of the Tortuga backpacks that were ever Made and I absolutely love them. Sometimes I use my set out bag if I'm just going for a weekend trip. Of course, I use my Outbreaker backpack if I'm going on a long trip. You can find all of the amazing Tortuga backpacks, the entire line of Tortuga backpacks, over at tortugabackpacks.com. And no matter what you decide to get over there, don't forget to use the promo code EPOP. That's E P O P, all capital letters, because that will get you 10% off your entire order. So if for a while, maybe your relationship with backpacks was not a pleasant one, check them out. Go grab yourself an awesome Tortuga backpack and change that relationship in an instant. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who served as an integral part of one of my favorite events of the year, the World Domination Summit, for years, and who quit her job as a full-time professor to start her own college. Yes, you heard that right. To start her own college, Michelle Jones, founder of the Wayfinding Academy. Michelle, thanks for joining me today, and welcome. Thank you, Travis. It's so much fun to be here. We've got a lot to unpack today because I don't know. I'm 99. No, I'm 100% sure. I've never had anyone who started their own college on the show before. And uh, I don't think many people know many people who have started their own college. So we've got a, a cool bit of stuff to unpack when it comes to why that happened and your story and what led you to all this. But before we even get into all of that, and of course, we're going to talk about some of your travels and your mishaps and all that good stuff. I want you to give everyone an idea of like what is the Wayfinding Academy? Like if you were, and I don't know if you have a good elevator pitch, you might have honed it over the years, but what is the Wayfinding Academy? 
Yeah. So I'm also with you on the, like, I don't know other people who have started their own college. It's, it's truly not a thing. So you're not, it's not like you're missing this whole conversation that's been going on and all these people are doing this thing and you just didn't know it. It, It's totally not a thing people do. Uh, and so now there's no it, there's no Facebook group for people who started their own college. Yeah, I, <laughs> no support I mean, group. <laughs> maybe I should start one. There you go. Uh, yeah, no. So it's uh, yeah, it, we probably need one if anybody's going to do this in the future, because I now know why nobody does this. We can get into that. Um, yeah. So Wayfinding Academy, we are a small two year college nonprofit in North Portland. We have a building here that's in like a cute little neighborhood. And uh, we focus mostly on creating handcrafted learning opportunities for students. So the goal here is that a student comes, they spend two years with us, they study, the program that they study is self and society. So they spend half their time figuring out who they are, what they care about, what they're passionate about. And then they spend half their time understanding society and what the major issues are in the world right now with the goal of trying to put those two things together figure out how they can be of service to the world and sort of launch their whatever comes after wayfinding next steps with purpose and intention and a support network to help them do it. So that's basically what we do. We are a college. Uh, We do grant degrees. We've been approved by the fancy Oregon Higher Education Coordinating Commission. That's the main reason people don't start their colleges is because of all that kind of stuff that you have to go through. And so we are a real college that grants degrees, but most of our students don't care one way or the other about the fact they get a degree. They really want the community. Very cool. So you do have the accreditation part. And so, and I know we'll get into all of this, but just to lay it out, if someone comes to Wayfinding for two years and then they want to continue on into higher education at another university um, to get a bachelor's or what have you, that is, that's possible. They can take some of the credits or maybe even all of them if, if it works out that way to a, to a um, four-year school. Yep, totally. And we have a couple, it sounds like we have a couple students who are thinking they might do that after, like, like from our first ever, our inaugural cohort. Uh, but most of them have other plans in mind for themselves right after. And that's super cool. Both, both of those are awesome. What brought you to this realization that you wanted to start a non-conventional college? Because at the top, I, I mentioned that you had been a college professor. So when, why did you come up with this idea and when did it start percolating? Gosh, it, so it started percolating about a decade ago. So either that means I'm just really slow at picking up patterns and listening to things or that this was a really complicated thing and it would take a long time to prepare. I'm not sure which, time will tell. But um, so about 10 years ago, so I, I was a professor for 15 and a half years and not too far into that journey, I started hearing students complaining about their experience with higher education. And I mean, I did the normal higher education path. I went to a four-year college and I went to grad school. I did all the things that, you know, generally society tells us we're supposed to do. And I kind of like, well, it was fine. What's the big deal? But the more I started listening to students, I would usually have them in class when they were juniors or seniors. I mostly taught in business programs. And I was teaching the soft stuff, the like teamwork, communications, leadership, that kind of stuff. And so I'd get them as juniors or seniors and we'd be talking about, well, you know, what do you want to do with your life? What are your values? What's your purpose? How do you get there from here? What are your next steps? Uh, Let's try some things out. Let's do some little mini internships. Let's do some informational interviews. And um, they loved it, but they would also be super mad because they'd be like, this is great. 
But someone really should have asked me this at the very beginning, because I would have maybe chosen a different major or maybe gone to a different school or maybe taken a gap year and traveled first for a while or, you know, actually what I want to do with my life. I didn't need to go to college. I could have done something else instead. Uh, That would have been probably a better use of my time and money. And now I'm in all this debt. So I started hearing that about 10 years ago. I heard it often enough that I really tried to intently listen to it. And I would change my classes, the ones I taught, to kind of adapt to that so we could get rid of grades. And we didn't have tests and we didn't have textbooks and all that. Um, But I was still operating in this bureaucratic system that was set up mostly for its own benefit and mostly for the purpose of sorting students as opposed to really cultivating them and helping them figure out their next steps. So about mm, three years ago now, I went to my boss at the university where I was teaching and I said, yeah, so this is going to be my last year and I'm going to leave. And when I leave here, I'm going to start my own college. And to his credit, he said, fantastic. We need more alternatives to exist in the world. Uh, Higher education is broken and needs help fixing itself. And we need alternatives that can help us figure out how to do that. Great. Go for it. Please do it. Um, But by the way, if you don't yet have like a team and a name and the funding, just stick around for another year and get all that in place and then go do it. And so he was great. And so that's what I did. So I, I left teaching almost two years ago now and uh, have been doing this full time ever since. That was great advice from him, first off. And we talk about anyone starting their own business, whether it be a college or anything. It's like, okay, maybe try to do as much as you can on the side while while keeping your main thing because, A, it's going to keep you sane because you don't have all this time to fill. You know, it helps you prioritize, but also financially for a lot of people, it, it doesn't put that stress on it and what have you. But how long from when you decided to do that last year to then when you opened the doors at Wayfinding? Because that seems like a pretty quick turnaround where you said, all right, we want to do this to we're having people walk through the store as students now. I do know one other person who's trying to start their own college, and they started about the same time I started, and they expect their first class of students to start in fall 2020. So by comparison... (laughs) I did yeah. the, fast, the fast model. I'd been thinking about it for a lot of years and I'd been having really informal, not at all, hey, let's start a college, but like just casual conversations with people for, you know, four or five years. If I was to start a college, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Right. And so I had a lot of ideas floating around and a lot of people excited about it. So So almost two years ago, exactly right now, was when I submitted the massive, ginormous application to the Oregon Higher Education Coordinating Commission to say, we're really doing this. Here's all of our plans. Here's our five-year budget forecast. Here's who I'm hiring as faculty. Here's what our curriculum looks like. It's like a 160-page document uh, that I had to send them, uh, which then launches a series of conversations and all of this. Uh, So that was two years ago this month that I submitted that. And... um, It was August 2016 when we had our first students walk in the door. Um, Before I submitted all of that, which is probably where you first heard about this, was uh, so a few months before I submitted all this paperwork with the state of Oregon. By the way, that's like getting a college approved through the state bureaucratic system is not an easy task. And Oregon is one of the hardest states to get approved in. 
this goes in the category of things I did not know. Yeah, little did you know. This support That's group no is idea. sounding better. This Facebook support it, group. You can like hear the top yeah. five starts to, states to start a college. Hear the right. top five not to avoid. This one. Yeah. yeah, not Oregon. Uh, it turns out, but that's great. Uh, so far, so good. But a few months before I submitted all that paperwork, we launched a crowdfunding campaign, an Indiegogo campaign. So I actually kind of consider that to be sort of the start of this when it, when it became real. When I went out in public, I was on stage at the World Domination Summit. I walked out in like a magician costume. Uh, I don't know if you were there that particular year. Uh, there's a lot of craziness <laughs> that happens. I can't yeah. remember year to year, right? But probably... Yeah. Probably I was so because I was the magician for WDS for five years, and I and I went out on stage in a magician costume to announce my retirement as the magician, uh, and did a costume change while on stage into academic regalia to say, you know, it actually turns out that my real full time job is a college professor, and I'm going to go start my own college. And uh, so I could actually consider that moment, which was July 2015, to be you know, when I publicly said, I'm really doing this, here's how you can support. We launched our, that from the stage that day, I launched the crowdfunding campaign, our Indiegogo campaign, which we ended up raising $207,000 from 700 and something people. And we're the largest funded Indiegogo campaign in Oregon history still. Once we did that, I was kind of like, yeah, okay, I guess we're really doing this. Like people believe in this. People gave us money and said, please, please do this. And I mean, that's been like just over two years ago. So it's been a pretty fast path. And now we have, like, as I'm sitting here, I'm watching our students get out of class and go leave and head off for the rest of their days. And they're our second cohort of students. So we've got two batches of students now. Wow. So you had you had your first students come in August 2016 and finish their first year, you know, whatever, May of 2017. Second batches come in August 2017. And now we're getting, getting going. They've been there for a couple months. How many students... Do you have total, like, is there a set amount per cohort or is it based on who, who applies and, and who seems like a good fit and things like that? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. Right now we have two cohorts here concurrently. And so we've got 26 students at the moment. The first cohort is going to be graduating this coming July. So they're now, they've got about two terms left with us and they're starting to, they're working really intensely on what they're going to do after wayfinding and getting all of that in place. And that's been fun because they're also kind of mentoring the new students who got here uh, nine weeks ago, I guess it is now, who are just at the beginning of the, okay, what am I going to use my two years at Wayfinding to accomplish stage of conversation? So it's it's really cool to see both of those conversations going on at the same time. We, we have sort of like a maximum cohort size that because we're so handcrafted and personalized, like every single student who comes here gets a guide that they meet with for 45 minutes every week individually to talk about how to make the most of this experience, how to get ready for what comes next, you know, work through whatever they need to work through. Both prof- they, they focus on professional, academic, personal, and community stuff. And so those guides have a lot, you know, a lot of responsibility for managing those relationships and, and helping those students tell their stories. And because of that, intense one-on-oneness and personalization. We've capped our cohorts at a maximum of somewhere in the range of 20 to 24 students. And then it gets to like the good fitness, right? So our application process, which we can talk about a little more if you want, is really also highly personalized. And so we're really making sure that we've got good fit people who who we think would thrive here, who we actually could serve well, um, but also who would contribute well to the community at Wayfinding. So it's really is that fit process. 
And what does that look like if if you're looking through the people that you have in there and also people who have applied? What is what is a good fit? Who is a good fit for the Wayfinding Academy? And who have you seen come in and really flourish? Like, is there a common theme that runs through the students? Because I know it's not, you can't just say, oh, they have to be this age, you know, blah, blah, blah. But is there a theme that you see w- with these people who end up being a great fit for Wayfinding? Yeah, definitely. The folks who end up being the best fit with us are tend to be people who have a little bit of, who've done a little bit of personal work before coming here and are open to continuing that conversation. So what that practically looks like is they've usually done something else first. Uh, not all of them. Some of them did more or less come straight from high school, but they tend to, to have gone to a non-traditional high school or have had non-education experiences while in high school, like they you know, spent a year abroad or they did a lot of travel with their family or they did some like homeschooling, unschooling thing at some point in their life. The common characteristics, and this is what like our reviewers look for when they're reading all through their applications, is... Um, some element of curiosity. So we tend to find that our best fit students, the ones who are thriving the most, are just generally curious about the world and really excited about getting to learn new things all the time. And also having some willingness to stretch. We ask students to stretch quite a lot. We ask them to get out of their comfort zone quite a lot. And uh, what we've heard from our students who are in their second year now is, is several of them have said, yeah, we ask them pretty regularly. Give us an example of a time when you've stretched in the last you know, term or in the last four months or whatever. And uh, we've noticed patterns in their responses that in the early days, little things would require them. Would, they would say, oh, this made me stretch. But now they're telling us things like, yeah, you actually can't think of a time when I felt really stretched lately because I've done so much stretching. Like it's getting easier and easier and easier. And things that I thought previously were like, no way I can't do this are like, oh yeah, I can do this. So I guess that that curiosity about the world, the willingness to stretch and the desire to be part of a genuine learning community, like not just a community of people who love hanging out and having a good time, but who are spending time together because they're all on a learning journey and they want to support one another. So anybody who's like super independent and like really focused only on themselves would probably find this place frustrating. I think they could still get something out of it, but they would probably have a harder time. Like, is there an age limit that you put on it? Because you mentioned, like, probably not best or, or at least not your target demographic is people who come from a traditional high school like myself. And maybe I'd be a much better target now, actually. I'm 34. But, you know, my mindset. But, yeah, coming out of a, a four-year high school and not really being, like, a, a student of the world, not having traveled all over, I probably would have been a not as great a fit for me when I started. But is there a limit that you put on like, okay, well, if you've had maybe too much experience or if you're like 25, I I don't know, is there something that caps it for an age or do you have kind of anyone who fits the criteria that we just mentioned? Yeah, kind of anyone. So, okay. So if you're 34, you would have, there are several students here older than you. Okay. Very, very interesting. I'm 41 and our oldest student is 43. So our oldest student is older than I am, which is pretty cool. He's fantastic. Uh, and our youngest student uh, actually did come straight out of a traditional four-year high school, and they seem to be thriving pretty well here as well, and they're 18. So we have 18 to 43, and our average age is right around 23 of our current student body. 
the other thing that I think is interesting, which I didn't really expect when I started this necessarily, is that most of them are, are not from here. So we're in Portland. We kind of assume most of my network is in Portland. Most of the people I know are in Portland. Uh, when you start something, a lot of what you, a lot of it is just word of mouth kind of thing. So I kind of thought most of our students, at least at the beginning, would come from the local area. This is not the case. Uh, I think it's 70 to 75 percent of our students are not from Portland. So they've come from all over the country, as far away as uh, Maryland, Massachusetts, and everything in between. I think we have a dozen states represented now or something like this. And just our first two cohorts. Yeah, not bad for like, what, 30 students or less, right? Yeah, yeah, which is, so it's pretty, yeah, that was kind of surprising to us as well. Um, And so I don't think that there is any such thing as having had too much life experience for this to work for you. Uh, One of the things we're thinking about and starting to plan for is starting a shorter term program for older adults, folks who are like mm, getting close to maybe retiring or starting their you know, final career stage of life, who want to do that with purpose and with intention and would like a little bit of a support network and some skill building in, in how to do that. Because um, I think if, you're, if you get to that stage of life, you might, you might not be a good fit for a two-year program. Like you might not need two years to get right, that. Right. You're well, like, oh, right. I'm 60. I, I kind of want to get this going before I'm 62. Like yeah. let's move it along type thing. Yeah. So we actually had an applicant uh, this year. She's, uh, I think she's 66. And uh, she went through the whole application process and came out and did her in-person interview with us and hung out with us. And she's like, this is lovely. I think this is fantastic. I totally want to do it. But I don't know that I want to do two years of it. I what do you got that's shorter? And we don't yet because we're still at the beginning, but we are talking about launching as a pilot program, a short term thing that basically takes these students. The the first thing these students do is they take a wayfinding 101 course and they get a guide and they do a lot of personal reflection stuff at the beginning of the program. So we think we'll probably launch like a short version of that to get people going on that. And then they could opt into longer things with us if they wanted to afterwards. Uh, So I I guess I'd put that caveat on it is that if you're, if you're at that final stage, a two year commitment will seem like maybe too much. Yeah. How are these people finding way finding Academy? Because like you mentioned, you, you assumed, all right, we've got a network here. Portland's got a bunch of people who think unconventionally like, oh, we'll probably draw from this at least in the beginning. But you have people from all over the country are you guys marketing it? Is it like just getting spread somehow that you don't know? Or is there something that you've latched on to been like, oh, this is this is where this person came from? Because that's got to be a question you ask a lot of people. Like, where did you even know that we were here? Like, how did this happen? Yeah, because we're a small enough community, I actually know like any one of our Everyone. students. <laughs> I, could, yeah. I could tell you exactly how they found out about it. And then the challenge becomes, well, where's the pattern there? Because it's... It's like this huge mystery, right? We don't have a marketing budget, right? So it's all kind of, I mean, we now have a teeny tiny one that we're using for a couple of very specific things. And that this year is the first year that we've had one. Uh, and it's pretty darn small. I mean, it's like a few thousand dollars. So the, the patterns that we've recognized that we think we can count on, at least for this phase that we're in right now, are that people hear about us through a personal connection. So it's usually a one-on-one type of scenario where somebody who knows about wayfinding or somebody who knows me or one of our team members or one of our current students uh, 
thinks of somebody who thinks, so like somebody listening to this podcast might be like, oh my gosh, this would be perfect for so-and-so. Right, right. right. And they make a personal recommendation to that person like, hey, I learned about this thing. I think you might really like it. You should reach out to them and find out more. That happens. Yeah, and I guess that happens too because your thing is so unique that if, if someone's listening or someone hears about it, in their head instantly they'd be like this is great for this person like i know one person who's going to fit into this and they're going to fit in and flourish because it's such a unique environment exactly and the other thing that we hear most often is that folks who have already done their own higher education experience they say i wish this existed when i was younger and then that gets them thinking cuz i think generally speaking we all most of us who are paying any attention to what's going on in higher education in the united states feel like it's not working for the vast majority of people. And the statistics play that out, right? Like it's something like only 45% of people who start college finish college. And because of how expensive it is right now, that's a lot of people starting something, getting into some debt, investing time and money, and then not finishing it. Well, and, and even the people who are finishing it yeah. are in even more debt. Like, yes, you you did come out with your degree. So great. You got something out of it. But A, you're in a lot of debt and B, is what you got out of it even worthwhile at this point? Does anyone care that you have a bachelor's degree? And, and of course, there's certain things you need need a bachelor's degree to get. I get that. But yeah, there's this idea that that's just the first step then, right? Then there's the master's and then there's, you know, so on yeah. and so forth. We find ourselves now in a society where we've got a lot of people who have gone through that path. And at the end of it, they're like, well, I still have no idea what I want to do with my life. And like that was what that was supposed to help me figure out. And it really didn't. So now I got to start again with, well, first I probably have to take a job that I may not love because I've got to pay back all this debt. And while I'm doing that, have to figure out what I want to do with my life. So we end up in this society where you've got a lot of people doing unfulfilled work and that probably doesn't set us up for success. So I'm trying to change that ultimately, right? That's my big picture, like the uh, big, hairy, audacious goal, right? In the Jim Collins terminology. To change the entire higher education system in the U.S. It's, are you yeah, sure that's too. audacious enough? I'm, uh, you know, come on. You're fighting against 300 years of, uh, of a system. That's all. Indeed. And, and I think the other thing, and I'm not the only one who's, I'm the only one who's doing it this way, but I'm not the only one who's trying to get us to question some of that. Like, uh, Mike Rowe, I don't know if you're familiar with his work. He, the guy who did the dirty jobs. Yep, show. Yep. Yeah. He's got this great Ted talk where he talks a lot about this and he started a foundation, uh, gosh, half a dozen years ago or so called the micro works foundation. And his mission is similar to mine coming at it from a different angle. And he says that we've got to stop telling young people that the only path to success is to go to a four year college and to take this thing that everybody does because not a not everybody does it only like 33% of Americans have a college a four year college degree, which is not the impression we give young people. No, that's shocking to me. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I wish we could back it up 20 seconds. And you said to me, how many people have a four year degree? Because I, I, I think off the top of my head, I'd say like uh, 70% maybe I because a who you kind of you're in your bubble who you surround yourself with, but also it just seems like that's what happens, right? It does. And that's, and that, I think that right there is probably the nugget of the problem is that that's what young people are led to believe. And so if they want to choose something different than that, they are made to feel like they're a failure. They're not doing it right. Or it's something wrong with them, not something wrong with the system that doesn't serve everybody well. And so what Mike Rowe is trying to do is um, get more people into the trades because there are so many 
skilled labor positions that are vacant and empty and nobody to fill them because nobody goes into the trades because we keep telling young people, no, 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 you've got to do this. So like at the core of it, I think that's the thing that needs to change ultimately. And my personal way that I can get at it based on my background and what I know is to try to change the way we do higher education, to nudge even those big institutions to make a little bit of change in the way they think about what they do. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, someone who used to teach in a uh, technical high school, right? And I taught the academic portion of it, but you know, half the day the kids would go and do carpentry or auto repair or culinary or um, cosmetology, all you know, all those different types of trades. And then I was they were coming to me and they basically didn't care at all about history because they were like, "I'd much rather build a house than learn about this." Which, fair enough, they were amazing carpenters and doing stuff I could never do. But it was interesting to me because I am someone who. When I was in high school, I had no desire to go into a CTE program, into a uh, career and technical education program. And that's more because of my mindset. Like, I'm not good at that kind of stuff. There wasn't anything that interested me exactly in that mode. But what was interesting to me was that I, I didn't really feel like I wanted to go into a four-year school. I mean, I did. And, and at that point, it was fine to me. But there was no kind of other option. It was like, oh, you're in, in tech, you know, you're using your hands, you're in tech, you're in one of these programs, or you're in an academic track. And you're kind of filling in that gap where you're saying, well, there is another part of this. And that's figuring out it what it is that you do want to do that hopefully people are figuring out, like you said, before they get into two years of college, and they're like, well, I don't want to do this. Why am I here? And now I'm, you know, 20, 30, $40,000 in debt. Yeah. And and that is the ultimate goal, I think. And so in that realm, there are other people doing this kind of work to try to say, hey, let's let's make sure that there's other options and that we tell young people, hey, any of these options are totally legitimate, totally valid. And depending on what you want to do, you like you might come out of high school and just start doing it and be good. That is totally an okay thing to do, too. Or there's a lot of um, gap year programs now that are really trying to say, hey, if, if you don't know what you want to do, then travel is one really good option for self-exploration. And you can do that solo and independently, or you can do it with these programs and have other people who are also doing it. Uh, and so I think wayfinding fits in there as sort of a, a hybrid model of all of these things, because we are college. So there's this academic element to it. But we also have a lot of the same things as a gap year program would have in terms of personal exploration and travel opportunities and stretching and hands-on and experiential learning and all of that. It's like an all of those things and kind of situation. You know, we always talk about options, but the more options, the better, because most people at 18, my, certainly myself, had no idea exactly what they wanted to do. But when you're given one option, you just, that's the option that you take. Or if you're given two, but one of them is, as we talked about, seen as the right one. And one of them is seen as like, oh, you're not going to college. Like I even remember when I went to community college for my first semester of college and people were like, wait, why aren't you going away? And it was actually because I was just too lazy to do anything else. But it was like everyone was looking down upon it. And I was sitting there thinking, well, I didn't know exactly where I wanted to go. I applied to 15 of these schools. None of them, you know, like there was reason I didn't want to go to any of them. So I ended up going to this one, which is cheaper. And, and I'm trying to figure it out. But it was looked not not looked down upon by my family and friends, but just it, from society in general, it was like, wait, you're not going away? And it'd be even more so if I was saying, oh, I'm not going to school at all. Like, I'm going to take a gap year or I'm going to go work for a year, an intern or something or apprenticeship. That's like coming from a middle class 
background, it's people think you're crazy, right? Yeah, they do. And again, I think that's the nugget of the problem there is that that, that those conversations um, are so limited, right? That, that we can't really talk to each student or each young person and as, as where they are in their life and really ask them the questions of, well, what do you want to do with your life and what do you care about? And so when I talk about like when I set up wayfinding to try to turn higher education frontwards, it's because I feel like for my years in the traditional higher education system, those questions only got asked at the very, very end and, and not usually by the institution, like the college, they're usually asked by like your family or your friends or people who are worried about you. You're like, well, you're graduating soon. Like, what are you going to do with your life? Right. And if you get to think about those things and have those answers intentionally from the beginning, you're going to make way more informed and intentional choices all the way through. So that's why we front load wayfinding with, it, it actually starts in the application process because we don't, we have a very, as you might expect, a very non-traditional application process. Yeah. So, what does that look like? The application process. It's like, shoot us a two minute video and dress up as a magician, right? Or something. <laughs> they can do that if they want. They do have that option. Indeed. I have a phone, a Skype conversation with a prospective student in Oklahoma next week. Uh, he learned about us because I happened to be at this event and a high school teacher at his high school was there. And when she heard about Wayfinding, she's like, ah, this would be perfect for so-and-so, right? And so she told him about us. He reached out. And so myself and another member of my team are going to take a, since we're not in person, we can't do it. We would do it in person if he was nearby, but he's not. So we do it via Skype or phone. And we're going to do like an hour long conversation with him to say, tell us about yourself. What do you want to do with your life? What are you hoping for? What are you considering as possible paths? Here's a little bit about what wayfinding does. And the goal is to at least initially figure out whether that seems to be an okay match. And if, if we both feel like, yeah, this seems okay. I think we get each other enough. Let's go on to the online application. So they can't even get access to an online application until we've had that initial you know, general fit conversation. Our student recruitment team is called the, our matchmaking team. So like they're, <laughs> like they're matchmakers, right? Trying to match students to wayfinding. And, and then in that online application, we don't ask any, like we don't ask for GPA or test scores or transcripts or any of that stuff. We want to know like, what are your big questions in life? Uh, what is your educational path thus far? Why do you want to go to college? Why do you want to go to wayfinding Academy? So a little bit about getting them to really think about what like their why is and our goal when we wrote that is that we want that application to help anybody who fills it out to figure out what they want to do next in life even if it turns out not to be wayfinding like they might through this process decide you know what wayfinding is not going to be my next step but this is what it is going to be and now I know why that is and so that's sort of our process and then we've got a bunch of people who review all of that and then at that point we've once we move to that final stage, we've decided we think we could help them. Like we feel fairly confident that if they were to come here, they could thrive, that we would help them figure out their next steps. Cause we certainly do not want somebody to come here um, and contribute to the problem of them spending right. time and money doing a thing that is not a good fit for them, which is the writ large problem with higher education. Right. You so, don't want to just do that in a different way. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so, so then we invite them to come visit us in person so they fly from all over the country and they come visit us in person so that they can meet other members of the team beyond just whoever they've met on the matchmaking team because they'd really be joining this community. So we have them meet faculty and students and other staff members. 
and other members of their likely cohort. So we kind of bring them in in batches. And that way they can really get a sense of, oh, if I were to come here, it would feel kind of like this and these would be my people. Because I feel like that's like this whole you're the you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Like I take that pretty seriously that I'm I'm making these people spend a lot of time with each other because of the way our model works. And so I want to get that right and I want them to know what they're getting into. And then um, I won't share all the details, but there is a video if you want to watch it on our YouTube channel about how we invite them to be students here. Um, the hint is that we do it in person and by surprise and we call it commencement day. So it involves lots of like sending people flying around the country to show up and make surprise invites to people, which is pretty fun. Yeah, very, very cool. So when someone gets they're accepted and they're in wayfinding, what does a typical and I know it's gonna be really hard because the whole point is that it's very curated to the individual person and and that but what does it look like for an actual student at wayfinding both logistically, like, you know, are there certain hours they have classes and then also as an overall path, like, all right, here's what you're going to be working on. And here's kind of what we expect and, and things like that. During the two years, they take nine core courses. So I developed this core curriculum that has pretty heavy courses. I mean, they're, they spend six hours a week in each of those courses and they take two at a time usually. So for example, right now, students just got out of spending three hours in an understanding our world course. And so the typical the schedule has been fluctuating for the first two years because it's based on feedback from students. And as we've learned about what students want to do in terms of their work schedules and their extracurricular activities, we've tried to adapt the course schedule to fit what works for them. So what it typically looks like now is that Monday through Thursday from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., they're in class. And uh, that continues on through the entire two years, except that sometimes they're only taking one of those core classes at a time. So they'd only be, say, Tuesday, Thursday or Monday, Wednesday. And then the other rest of the time, they're filling that with internships. So all of our students do at least two internships. And so I, the way I like to describe it is that about half of their time at Wayfinding is all together with their cohort in this core curriculum, kind of common shared experiences. And that curriculum is designed to help them be effective citizens and human beings no matter what they choose to do. So their, their first couple classes are Wayfinding 101 and Understanding Our World. Uh, they take a communications class. They take a engaging with information class, like how to do effective research, no matter what you need to research. Um, right now, one of our first cohort is in science, technology, and society. So they're trying to like blend all those things together and make sense of things. Uh, the last class that all of our students will take before they leave Wayfinding is called The Good Life. So it's kind of an ethics and philosophy course on like, what does it mean to live a good life? And how do you define that for yourselves? Because you're about to have to go do that. Um, and it's not necessarily surrounded by a bunch of people who think about this the way you do. So right, who who like are on on par with you. They're like, yeah, we want to all do this together. You're actually going to get out into a world where people might not be as maybe positive or energetic about what you're as energetic about. Exactly. And so they so they do that all together as a cohort. Um, and I'm actually putting two cohorts together in in a course next term. So we were going to take cohort one and cohort two and have them be in making good choices as their course next term, which will be pretty cool. And so that takes up somewhere in the range of six to 12 hours of their week. And then the rest of the time they're meeting with their guides. So once a week they meet with their guides for 45 minutes. Uh, they also get together in small guide groups, sort of like accountability groups. So there's like four to six students in each one of those groups. Uh, we have labs, which are 
short seminars on specific topics that are taught by experts in the community. So there was one last weekend on how to start a business or nonprofit that was like an all day Saturday, all day Sunday crash course in this stuff. Um, We had one on the power of food. We have one coming up in the winter on uh, sketchnoting and visual note taking. So, and, and we have one on podcasting. So we, it's like specific skills. So if a student is, we have students who are interested in everything from like uh, dance and art to politics and philosophy, like everything in between. Uh, and so these give them a way to be like, okay, well, I'm interested in dance, um, but I want to understand how to start my own nonprofit, or I'm interested in politics and I want to know how to start a podcast. So they're able to like learn very specific skills and everything is project based. So like I said, we don't have tests. So in every core course, in every lab, in every internship, uh, they are building projects and putting together a portfolio. So with their guide, they have this online portfolio. We, Our director of technology custom built this thing for us with all the feedback he got from the first year students to say, okay, we, we want this online platform where we can add these kinds of projects. And so we can show off a video we did or an article we wrote or a podcast we made or this art project that we created or whatever. And so they build this portfolio all along as they go so that then they can show the world at the end, like, hey, here's who I am. Here's what I'm capable of doing. Here's my skill set. And this is what I'm doing next. So like that. So it's like half very, very highly individualized and customized and half we're doing this thing together as a learning community and tailoring it to people. And what I love about that setup that you guys have is that it's essentially you're going to class and you're taking these courses and all, but it's part of real life. You know, like when you go to when you go to a regular traditional four-year university, those four years, your whole goal for most people, I know there's certainly people who work more and, and work jobs and, and do it non-traditionally, but you know, your traditional 18-year-old comes in, all right, you're only job or mission essentially is to go to class and listen i liked that because it gave me plenty of time to goof off but four years of time where i could have probably been being a much more productive person both for myself and for the outward world and i love that for how the way you set up it's like hey you're going to be going to class you're going to be doing this but it's just a part of everything else like you're going to have internships and you're going to have a, a regular life i guess essentially it's almost similar to when people come back and they do like adult education where you're coming back and you have this life and you're building all this other stuff and the course is helping supplement that and making you better in whatever version of of that course that that you're taking but you're not just pushing all real life to the side and saying all right I'm in college 4 years that's it this is the only thing I'm doing I love that it's it's melding real world experience and allowing you to have a real life and grow with also the learning aspect of it we have a creed where we articulate all of the values that we live by that we try to make show up in everything we do here. And we have two lines in that that speak to what you're saying. One is that the, the line between the real world and work is imaginary and between the work and school, that's imaginary. And we have a line that says um, that we believe community and college should be woven together. And so we do a number of things. We don't have, for example, housing on campus by choice. Right. We have this great building that feels like a home that's got a kitchen and a microwave and a ping pong table. And like students feel comfortable here and they hang out here like it is their own home, their own living room. But they don't live here. Uh, and that's by design. We want them living out in the community and really engaging in the community and getting to know their place. Um, Portland has a lot of really neat neighborhoods. And so we've found that our students tend to live in two primary neighborhoods here in Portland. 
and they kind of live in clumps. A lot of them live with each other because they're moving from across the country to come here. So they become each other's roommates. Um, but then they carpool together and they really walk around their neighborhood and get to know their, their local neighborhood places here in Portland, which is cool. Um, and we're having them, we, they're doing informational interviews from like the first few weeks that they're here getting out in the community. We have a community of supporters, like, um, instead of having like a few big major donors, like most universities do, we give like millions of dollars. Uh, we want to flip that around as well. So we're taking on a lot of like flipping things around. So instead what we do is we have what we call our luminaries. And so these are people who give us on average, they give about $33 a month, but some give $2 a month. One of them gives like $260 a month and they uh, support a little bit financially so that students aren't bearing the cost of higher education. Our students pay a little over half what it costs us to provide the education to them. And the rest of the money comes from community support. And then th all of our students and all those luminaries who are all over the country are in like Facebook groups together. So a student can say, hey, I'm looking for somebody who might know something about this. And all of our luminaries can be like, oh, I know this person. Oh, I'll connect you to so-and-so or this or that. And vice versa. The luminaries can say, hey, you know, a friend of mine has a small business and they're looking for an intern. Are any of you interested? And students can say, oh, yeah, actually, I'd be interested. So, so we're trying to facilitate like breaking all of that down so that there's always those community college conversations crossing, crossing over. Um, cause that's real life. I mean, that, that is that, real that's life. Way, and that's the way the world actually works when you're living in it. It is. And I'm so fortunate and blessed. And I love the life that we built where it's, where it's not, I'm going to work, I'm coming home. And it's like, you're putting walls up and like, this is my work. This is my home. This is my fun activities, you know, and it's like, everything is separate. The beauty, I think, in, in living a fulfilled life and one uh, certainly in my mind is trying to mesh all those things together. And of course, there's times you have to put up blocks and like, all right, you know, I'm going to be working here. So don't bother me, whatever, you know, we don't have to get in that. But I love that it's, it's so interwoven. So me saying, Hey, I'm going to go out to Portland. People are like, Oh, is that a business trip or a personal trip? I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm going to be meeting with people who I'm probably going to do projects with. So I guess business, but we're also going to be going out and having great beer and eating good food. Like that's what I want out of life where it is that meshing, just like you talked about. It's not, this is one part, one segment of my life in this box. This is another segment. This is another segment, and they never cross over. I am interested to ask you what neighborhoods, because I love the Portland neighborhoods, what neighborhoods it is that they generally live in, and, and why do you think that is? Uh, so the majority of them live here in the St. John's neighborhood, because that's where we're located, and they can walk. You know, They've rented houses or apartments nearby, and they can walk to campus, and get, they also get jobs here in the neighborhood, which is pretty cool, too. Uh, St. John's is sort of, it's like one of the historic neighborhoods in Portland. It's one of the last to be gentrified. It's still pretty original to what Portland was. It's definitely changing quickly, uh, as is most of Portland. But we chose this on purpose because it still has that, that solid neighborhood vibe. Uh, the other neighborhood that most of our students live in is the Alberta Arts District, which is like a you know 20 minute bus ride from here or a uh, 20 minute bike ride also. And so I don't know, like another half a dozen of them live right there within a few blocks of each other uh, so that they can walk to local coffee shops or happy hours and stuff like that. A couple of our older students had lived here already, obviously, before coming to Wayfinding. Our three or four most students who are the oldest were already in Portland. And so they own houses in different parts of town, but they invite 
the students to come over and hang out with them for game nights and stuff, which is pretty cool also. So mostly Alberta, um, that kind of Alberta Concordia kind of area neighborhoods. And then also here in St. John's, which is. Yeah. Which makes sense. And, and are friendly towards people who would have those type of ideas, you know, this like, Hey, we're going to be different and, and, thinking of things in, in a different way. What has been the response from the community, both your physical community there in there in Portland, and even even if we want to get it niched down a little more, the St. John's community, and then also the academic community at large and, and people who are looking at this saying, what is she doing over there in Portland starting her own college? So first, let's start with like the actual physical community. What has been the response from, from the Portland community? And then let's get into, yeah, are you are you getting support from the academic community? Is there a lot of like bad blood? What, what's going on there? Yeah, the physical community has actually been great. We started going to neighborhood association meetings, like when we knew we wanted this building and we hadn't moved in yet. And they're thrilled to have us here because... Uh, and, and we provide a space like the local uh, health clinic needed a new space to do their weekly yoga classes when their space is under renovation. So we loaned them our space. We've got this big room that fits like 100 people. So we share our space a lot with the community. And so that's been really fun. On Tuesday nights, the the local elementary school, they bring over their uh, ballet folklorico classes where you've got all these parents and kids coming and dancing, like you know, which is great. I was really nervous, actually, when I started this. I was kind of bracing myself for a lot of fights in terms of the traditional higher education system and how they would respond and react to this. Because in a lot of the things I say, I'm, I'm, I'm directly saying it's, it's broken. It needs to be fixed. It's not working. It's yeah, you're drawing a line in the sand. Yeah, right. You're not sitting like, oh, it's, it's okay. But if you're not, you're like, eh, I started this because I didn't like how this was going and neither did students that I was talking with. I was like, okay, I'm going to get ready because I'm going to get a lot of uh, blowback because of that. But it will probably come at some point, but it hasn't yet. Um, what I found all in all is that there's generally an agreed, agreed upon idea that higher education needs change, where we disagree is on exactly how to go about that and where to start. So most people in higher education are like, yep, I'm with you. I totally get it. I wouldn't do it the way you're doing it, but you, the way you're doing it sounds like it can work too, right? And also most people are willing to talk about what's wrong with it, but not willing to do something actively about creating an alternative. So they're grateful that someone is. The two places where this has been the most surprising to me is going through the process of being approved by the Higher Education Coordinating Commission. We have to meet the same standards as any other higher education institution in the state of Oregon. So we are held to the same regulations as the University of Oregon or, you know, Reed College or any any other college in the state. And I didn't know how that was going to go because their paperwork clearly assumes you're traditional. So it asks things like, how will students be graded? How are you calculating a GPA? What does their transcript look like? When I filled out that paperwork two years ago, I just crossed my fingers and was like, so we don't have grades and we are going to do this and it's going to be like this. And, um, I've, I've since gotten to meet in person, most of the people who are on that commission and they have been cheering us on all along, saying, yes, yes, please do this. Oregon wants to be a leader in rethinking the way we do higher education. And their executive director has been over and visited a few times, and they're coming to this dinner that we're hosting tomorrow night, and they're helping us spread the word. And so is the Community College Association of Oregon, which we're not exactly part of because we're in this weird, I, this is, again, goes in the category of like, 
things I did not plan in advance. Um, I knew I wanted it to be a two-year program. I knew I wanted it to be nonprofit and private. Um, I didn't care about the degree at the end part necessarily, but I know that students will want that option at some point in their life. And so I went through the process of becoming a degree-granting institution. Um, but it turns out that we're kind of like, we're the only one in the country. We're like a small, private, nonprofit community college, but we're not a community college because we're not publicly funded. Uh, we don't transfer directly to the big four-year state schools. Uh, and we're not like a liberal arts college because we're a two-year college. You know, so it's this, so it turns out, okay, like I didn't mean to be doing that, but that's how it worked out. So the Community College Association of Oregon has this commission where there are 17 community college presidents, presidents get together on a regular basis, the President's Council, and they've been inviting me to come in and meet with them and talk with them, and they're sending teams out. We have one coming next week and one coming in a couple months. The community colleges in Oregon are sending teams to come visit us and see what we do and see how we're doing it and talk to our students and talk to our staff to see what they could be doing that's more like what we're doing. And so I've been really honored and impressed by the the way in which they've embraced Wayfinding's existence and cheered us on and helped support us and are also saying, hey, I think we can learn some things from you. So let's let's collaborate. Uh, I didn't expect that response. Like, I really didn't expect that response. And I've now started going and visiting other four-year colleges that students might want to transfer to maybe after Wayfinding, and their reception has been tremendous as well. So I've got multiple you know, transfer agreements in place now and really good conversations with colleges all over the country. I, it's, it's like the opposite response that what I thought I would get. So I'm still kind of braced for that. You're like crossing your fingers, <laughs> like, I, so far, so good. Okay. Just a matter of time, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. This might be a really difficult question to, to answer, but you were talking about unexpected things. And that kind of got me thinking, what are some or, or maybe even one big one of the most unexpected things that have happened since opening the Wayfinding Academy? So you talked about the response from from other universities being completely and directly opposite what you imagined. Is there anything else when you were going into it, you thought, all right, it's going to be this way. You know, I just, in my head, this is how I see things happening or, or turning out. And then as soon as you started or as you got going, you just, it just was completely different from, from what it was that you thought would happen. The process to show up here at Wayfinding is pretty intense and pretty intentional. So by the time somebody gets here, they know deeply why they've chosen to be here, what they want to get out of it, um, what they plan to do with their time here. There's been a lot of conversation. So I was assuming that once they got here, they'd stay here because of everything leading up to it. I, I don't assume that in traditional colleges because there's not all that leading up to it. So like, right. sure. I went like, here because yeah. my parents went here. I went here because my buddy's going here or it's the closest school to my home or whatever. Exactly. And so in that model, it makes sense that you get there and you're like, oh no, this isn't what I thought I'd be. Peace out, right? I did not think that would happen to us and I was wrong. So we've we've had five students in our first cohort choose to not keep going at Wayfinding. And they chose that. None of them chose it right away. It took them all a little bit of a time to do it. And their reasons are what students say at other institutions. You know, it's usually financial or family stress or, you know, some a family member or parent gets sick and needs help and care and whatever. And so most of their reasons kind of line up with that. I, I thought we might be immune to that. We're much, much less expensive than 
pretty much every other college. And we do a lot of things to try to help make it work for students in that way. Um, but we, it turns out we weren't immune from it. And a couple of them have said, yeah, I, I have gotten what I needed from this already. And I don't need to stay for a full two years. And I'm like, yeah, but no, I think you do. Like, you still have this and this and this to go. And that's really going to be helpful to you. And they're like, no, 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 I'm going to go do this thing now. And I'm like, no, but wait. So, and, and because we know them each individually and so well, it is heartbreaking uh, in a way that it wouldn't be at other institutions. And and even with five of them leaving, we're still we still have a better retention rate than like every other school. So it's still like it hurts us, and it's still like yeah. I tell other colleges this, they're like, oh yeah, no, that's fine, like that's no big deal. But um, but to you, it's a it, to you, it's a person, not a number, right? It's like oh, your retention rate is twice as high as a regular college. You're like yeah, but I knew the five people who left, and I knew their reasons, and I knew what could have potentially happened to them had they stayed and things like that. Yeah. And we're still in touch with all of them. We still keep track of them. And some of them still show up at events and participate and stuff. But I, I, that was unexpected to me. Like I didn't expect people to, to, after making that long and intensive decision-making process to then change their mind basically. Uh, so that was a pretty big surprise. Yeah. I, I know too, with wayfinding, one of the things that you guys do is, is get people out in the world and not just the world in terms of Portland, but also then out into the bigger world and encourage them to travel. And we've talked, yeah, you, you dropped the idea of gap years in there and stuff like that. And all this, all this kind of stuff fits into a non-traditional upbringing in our education, right? Like, hey, wayfinding is non-traditional, taking a gap year for Americans, non-traditional. For you, how is travel, because I want to pivot just a little bit as we as we get to the end here of, of talking about your travel and how has that impacted the way that you've seen things and kind of your path forward was saying, hey, I want to be a little bit of a nonconformist and upset the apple cart here. We've, we have three core values at Wayfinding. Uh, one is human, which we've talked a lot about. Another is purpose, which we've also talked a lot about. And the third one, though, is adventure, which we haven't talked very much about. If done well, adventure is hard and requires stretching. And for me, in my own personal life, the places where I've had to really face that the most directly and intensely is in my travel experiences. Uh, I have had some, you know, super easy, fun travel experiences like going to Italy and eating good food. But I have also gone to places like uh, Pakistan. And spent several, you know, and, and been in really uncomfortable travel situations where you you have to stretch quite a lot and really look at your underlying assumptions about the world and the way the world works and how you want to show up in it. And so when I created Wayfinding, um, one of the things we promised students is that we will, um, at, at the end of the Wayfinding experience, that they will, there's like six things that we promise them. And one of them is that they'll be willing to stretch. And so I thought, well, how the heck are we going to, in two years... In addition to the academic rigor, how do we help students to get to that point where they live the rest of their lives willing to stretch? And I thought, well, travel seems like an obvious choice. And for some of them, traveling, you know, just across the country is going to be a stretch. And so one of the fun things I got to do, I mean, I literally got to make my own college from scratch. So within the, you know, massive amounts of regulations. Throw a little of bit of state. this in, a little bit of, you're like, you're stirring a pot and like, wait, this might, this might work. Yeah. And like, I knew that I wanted it to go year round. None of this stupid, like take four and a half months off in the summer and then have to like basically start over again. And I knew that I wanted long breaks in between terms. None of this like week 
one week break, you know, kind of thing. So I convinced the state to let me do these 12 week quarters. Quarters are usually like nine or 10 weeks, but I was like, no, I want them to be 12 weeks and I only want three of them. So I want four quarters. I want three. And we're going to have these long breaks in between. And during those breaks, we're going to have these, what what we've decided to call learn and explore trips. And our goal is to try to get 100% of our students to have the opportunity to either lead one or go on one. And we've done three so far, and we have two more already planned that people are signing up for. They're pretty successful. The two, the two short ones we've done, we, uh, one of our students led a group of other students uh, along with a luminary, and they went down to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival for a weekend and immersed themselves in theater and got backstage tours and did all this stuff. Um, and talked about how the power of theater to change the conversation related to social justice, which was cool. Um, we also took a group of eight of us to Santa Fe to study sustainability and sovereignty in, at the Santa Fe Community College and do a bunch of touring and sightseeing around New Mexico. But the first one we did was to walk the Camino de Santiago in Spain. So 15 of us went to Spain last April for three weeks and um, everybody had to like get themselves there on their own, however they wanted to, using airline miles in most cases. And then we all had to like rendezvous at this town on this day, which meant that they either had to take a train or a bus or figure out how to get there. Like, so some stretching just to even show up. Yeah. And I think stretching on your part to like trust that this is going to work out, because even just listening to this, I'm like, Okay, well, I think this is going to lead into the biggest travel mishap. So we might as well just get that out of the way. This sounds like we're leading to a mishap. Am I am I right on that? You're you're right on that. Okay. And, and it, it's, I mean, I guess it is my mishap, although it, it wasn't me who carried the brunt of it. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, you know, I show up at this trip and I'm, I've done the Camino, I've done parts of the Camino three times before. So I feel prepared and we've done all these sessions and we've watched all these movies and we've practiced packing our packs and, you know, doing all this stuff together in Portland. And then we all get there and I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be fine. And the first night that we're there, two of our students go out, you know, they're, they're adults. They do what they want. You know, uh, the first night we're there, they go out and they are sort of like exploring the town that we're in. And they decided they wanted to climb up on this building and get a better view of the city. The next morning I get a call from the local police to let me know that, uh, I've got two of my group members who have spent the night in jail the, the police have called their parents and the parents are now reaching out to me being like, I'm getting these calls from police in Spanish and I don't speak Spanish. What's going on? And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I'll get right back to you. And it turns out that the two of them had spent the entire night in, in jail in Spain and they had been charged with attempted burglary by force of ancient relics because they were the, the building they happened to choose to climb on is like the sacred cathedral that's like the equivalent of, you know, our state capital or something. They didn't know that. But so I end up, you know, our first night having to be like, and they had to go to court and they had a translator. And then it's a small town. So they were on the front page of the newspaper the next day. And we're only traveling at a walking pace you know, obviously on the pilgrimage. And so like we get from town to town to town and we can't get ahead of the story, right? Like we end up in a town and they're like, oh, you're those kids, <laughs> you know? And we're like, no, still. So that was the biggest travel mishap I've had to deal with was, you know, on the first ever Wayfinding Academy Learn and Explore trip, the first night, two students spend the night in jail. Uh, both of them are still students. One of them was a prospective student at the time and she ended up 
choosing to enroll at Wayfinding the following year, you know, <laughs> uh, and we have that article from that local Spanish newspaper hanging on the wall here just to remind us all. Uh, they, that that's how you happen. know you've made it. You've made yeah. it now. Like Wayfinding yeah. Academy is getting publicity in Spain. We never. It doesn't have to be good publicity. Or maybe it is. Maybe people are like, oh, those. They're really. They're badasses over there. That uh, Wayfinding Academy in Portland climbing up and burglarizing with ancient relics. Like, man, they just know what's up. That is pretty funny. And yes, talk about like first trip, first night. Started off with a bang. What do you guys have coming up in the pipeline over at Wayfinding Academy? We've got a few things coming up. In the, in the travel realm, I'm pretty excited about this. The the Camino, despite despite that mishap, was super popular. At all 15 people who started the walk, finished the walk, we all did it successfully. We're doing it again. Uh, so that's going to become an annual trip. Every April, we'll take a group. Uh, and it's not just students. Students, staff, faculty, board members, luminaries, every you know anybody in the wayfinding community gets to go. And it's super affordable. So we're doing that every year. Uh, we also added a trip this year in December. A small group of students and one of our faculty members is going to Ghana. Uh, she's from Ghana, so she's going to take them over and teach about the culture and how the education system works over there and stuff like that. So that's going to be pretty exciting. Our big thing that we have right now, though, is that we are about to like launch our application process for our next cohort of students, which is always like nervous and excitement at the same time because we're like who are they going to be they could be anybody but we know they'll be amazing how do we find them so that's happening now so starting in early november if somebody's interested in joining our next cohort which will start in august um, well i guess they could start before by going to spain with us or something like that um, but starting classes with us in august they can uh, they can start the application process pretty soon so that's it's, it, it like creates a buzz of excitement around here when that happens. By the time you guys are listening to this, this will be out. But November, beginning of November 2017, and then how long does that application process run? Like, Is there a, a cutoff date that people have to apply by usually? It will go until our cohort is full. So somewhere around 20 to 24 students will, will keep it open until then. There are a couple of deadlines that take place where if you want like priority consideration for scholarships, you have to apply by... And I'm not going to, I think it's on the website. I think it's like January 15th or February something, something like that. Um, and so we'll put all of those dates and stuff on our website. And but the first step, if, if somebody's interested, is to just reach out to us and start a conversation. Because like I said, we, we start by having a conversation to see if we're on the same page and we want to continue this together. And our matchmaking team, they're pretty cool. They're willing to like take texts, they'll do Skype, they'll do emails, they'll do phone calls, like whatever. So like all that contact info is on our website, on our Become a Student page. And, and if you just want to fill out like the, I want to become a student form and like fill out like a little online form, we can also handle it that way. So like whatever works for people. Very, very cool. Yeah. If you guys are listening and you're, you're someone who wants to be a student, you, again, uh, you could be any age as, as Michelle was telling us, or if you're someone who's listening and you're, you're that person who said, oh my gosh, I know the exact perfect, like I'm listening to Michelle talk about wayfinding and I know the exact perfect person who would fit in here. Where should they send people, Michelle? Like what's the best place for people to go to get a hold of you or find out everything that's going on with Wayfinding Academy? The best and easiest place is probably to get to our website, which is wayfindingacademy.org. And at the top, you'll see a thing that says become a student. So if you click on that, it'll give you a multitude of ways to contact us. That's probably the easiest. But we also do, um, we're on Facebook, we have a YouTube channel, we have Instagram, we have all of those things, and we respond to folks that way too. 
So much like with our curriculum here, we try to meet people where they're at and uh, be adaptable and customizable for what the student needs most. And that starts when they say, hey, I'm interested. So we'll sort of adapt to whatever whatever they prefer in terms of a mode of communication. Very awesome. Michelle, thanks so much for joining me today. And as a parent-to-be, uh, thanks for giving the world another option for an education that doesn't pigeonhole you into a certain box, but says, hey, there might be something else out there that you might want to explore. And I've always said, well, I've not always said it publicly, but to my wife, I said, if I'm a successful parent, I want my kid to look at the education system and decide not to go to a four-year university. I've been saying that for a few years, A, because it's so crazy expensive. I'm like, if they want to go to four-year university, like go to Germany and get it for free, right? And get to hang out in Germany. So I just really appreciate that you took this crazy step of going from a college professor, you know, a nice job that, that you worked hard to get to and had and liked to saying, I'm going to do something really off the wall and start my own college and uh, try to do it in a way that I think will fit a people that might not fit into that traditional mold. So thank you so much for doing that. It's pretty amazing. And I know I am very appreciative of it. I know a lot of people listening are as well. So thank you, Michelle, for taking that leap of faith. Yeah, my pleasure. It's such a joy. Guys, don't forget to, we've talked about a lot today. Um, best place to go, wayfindingacademy.org. You can find everything there. I've been on their website plenty. They have a lot of information for anyone who wants to know anything, whether you're like a parent or prospective student or cost or you know what life is like there. Um, a lot of information there. We will also link everything else up in the show notes that we talked about today too. So you can get that by going to extrapackofpeanuts.com slash shows. The show notes for this episode or any of the other 290, 300 plus episodes, you can find that there as well. Also, don't forget if you are out traveling the world, you don't have to be a Wayfinding Academy person to travel the world. You can be anyone. Tortugabackpacks.com. That's the backpack that I use. You can check that out. Tortugabackpacks.com. Use the promo code EPOP. That'll get you 10% off anything that you order there. Michelle, thank you again. It's been awesome to finally catch up with you. I have biked by, as I told you before, the Wayfinding Academy when I was on my little self-guided bike tour of Portland. I knew it was there. I went up to St. John's neighborhood. Super cool neighborhood that gets kind of forgotten, I think, by by tourists, as you were mentioning. Awesome building, and uh, it's just a cool, cool thing that you're doing. So thanks again for coming on and sharing it with us. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for doing it. Maybe we can get you out here again. You can teach a podcasting lab. There you go. There you go. I'd come out. Yeah, for sure. I'd guest speak, guest, guest podcast, do whatever. We can do a live podcast about how to start a podcast, right? We'll record it and we'll be all meta and things like that. Thank you guys for tuning in today for your continued support, as always, that makes us the number one radio travel podcast on iTunes. And until next time, happy free travels. I'll show you Paris and all.